I can't be holding up my iPad every time I walk down the hall of my house to see a favorite image of my daughter. I want that in a beautiful canvas on the wall. I want to have beautiful albums to share. I want beautiful prints to put in frames so that I can be looking at these memories all the time and not always on a device. And prints are going to be lasting for hundreds of years going forward, especially with some of the great archival methods that like Museo uses because they're going to be around and we all know that our digital devices are really just disposable. Hey everyone, my name is Michael Howard and welcome to the Musea podcast. I am Dory Howell, the co-founder of the IPS Mastermind education site and Facebook group and we specialize in teaching photographers how to run profitable and sustainable businesses. And I got into this because I knew a few years ago that I was not running a sustainable or profitable business and something needed to change. So I partnered up with Rachel Bohr and we created this website because we knew that a lot of other photographers had the same struggles. So I'm a photographer in the Washington, D.C. metropolitan area. I specialize in newborn and family portraiture and I love what I do. All IPS stands for is in-person sales, and this acronym that gets thrown around so much has become kind of this overinflated idea within our industry that it's this big, huge thing to be scared of if you're not involved in it. And really, it just means you're showing your images in person to your clients so they can make selections on what prints and products they might want to put those images on so they can display them in their homes and share them with their friends and family. It's the way photography has been sold since the very, very beginning of time, since photography was invented. And it's only until the past maybe 10, 15 years that shoot and share and digital images became such a hot commodity because of the change in technology. But IPS is not something new. We really want to try and pull the curtain back and let people see it's nothing to be scared of. And it's really a way that you can provide great service to your clients and also help you make a little bit more money in the process. Awesome. Yeah. So when I was thinking about this, the podcast coming up, I was trying to think of like, you know, look at everything through kind of photo history. Mm-hmm. And so this is a process that, you know, forever, like you said, 70s, 60s, 80s, 90s, all this stuff, you know, you do a photo shoot with the photographer and then you would go back to their studio to see the images and they would present them to you and you picked out the things you wanted. Right, exactly. Digital happened and everybody's like, let's put everything online and mm-hmm. just put stores online and then I don't have to meet anybody ever again in person. Right. I don't have to talk to anybody ever again. I can just do it all through the computer. Right. So what you found, I'm interested in it because obviously for us as a print lab, there was a fear for a while. They're like, oh, print's going to be dead. Everything's going to be digital. Right. And there's been just this huge resurgence in the past four or five years of people kind of getting burnt out on this kind of shoot and burn business model. Right. It's interesting Technology is always going to be changing. And there's some people who really, really believe that prints are dead. People don't want prints anymore. They just want to share things digitally. And I would say that, yes, there is a value in having your images accessible through your devices. But the thing is, is that we all know hard drives can crash and things like that. And 
I can't be holding up my iPad every time I walk down the hall of my house to see a favorite image of my daughter. I want that in a beautiful canvas on the wall. I want to have beautiful albums to share. I want beautiful prints to put in frames so that I can be looking at these memories all the time and not always on a device. And prints are going to be lasting for hundreds of years going forward, especially with some of the great archival methods that like Museo uses, because they're going to be around. And we all know that our digital devices are really just disposable. How many people get new phones every year, new computers every year? That is a disposable medium, but the printed portrait is not a disposable medium. People don't throw those things away. Mm -hmm. Let's talk a little bit about success stories because you've got this huge group, it's like 50 some thousand people now. You know, when I joined, it was around 18 or something. And it's just like <laughs> gone crazy in the past two yeah. years. Like it's just exploded. So I guess the angle I'm wanting to get to is there's still a lot of people doing shoot and burn. Mm-hmm. Are. And that's fine. That's great. So I just want to kind of pull back the veil on some real life cases of what's happening with people that are really great at IPS, like kind of you don't have to name names, but just some of the numbers people are pulling in per session. The case studies. You want some case studies? Well, yeah. well, I can speak for myself. First of all, when I started IPS, it was a very new kind of thing. And I was on an old online forum and some of the more experienced photographers were talking about the fact that if you just show your images in person, if you don't change any of your pricing, but if you sit down with them and show your images in person, you will make more money. And I have always been one that likes to make more money. And I'm not <laughs> I'm not ashamed of that. My time and my skill level is valuable. And if I'm going to take time away from my family, and if I'm going to use family resources to buy a camera, a computer, and to do photography, because let's face it, it's not the cheapest thing that people can start doing. It's very expensive and the money pit never ends. I needed to make some money doing that. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to go meet with my next client in person took my laptop and went and I was selling digital galleries for maybe about three, $400 at the time, which was 10 years ago. And my first sale was about $1,200, $1,200 immediately, just by being in front of them and helping them through the process of what they wanted to select. And we see stories all the time. I was making $300 per session, working so many hours, and I just had my first IPS appointment and I made $1,600. Or we see $3,500 being people's first IPS appointments. We had one person the other day, I think, posted an $8,500 sale and it was maybe her fifth IPS appointment. So people will spend money on printed portraits and people will spend money on the added service that you give when you do IPS. It's not just about the money. It's about making your clients happier. It's about providing wonderful products that they can keep and hold forever. And as a result of that, you will be rewarded monetarily. So we see the success stories every day. Yes. Love it. So I'm in the group and there's like recurring themes that tend to come up over and over again. And so I kind of want to talk through maybe some pain points that, you know, photographers might be bumping up against mm-hmm. as they kind of switch yeah. in IPS. So one of the big ones I feel like is money issues. And I know you've mm-hmm. talked about this before is some photographers 
they have like guilt with money. Yeah. Seller's guilt. Yeah. Like people paid me $2,000 for this and I feel bad about it. Right. So talk about that. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Yeah. Seller's guilt is a real thing. It absolutely is 100% valid. You don't want to feel like you have ruined someone financially because they spent a couple thousand dollars with you and now their kid can't go to college or they can't feed their child or you ruined Christmas and no one's getting Christmas presents. Like all (laughs) these things go through our mind when we walk away. We can feel guilty about that. I think there's a couple things that we need to keep in mind. First of all, our own value in the transaction. You are coming and you are bringing a valuable skill to the table that they can't provide for themselves. You are spending your time away from your family and you're spending resources to bring this to them. That has value. That is not something that is cheap and that's something that if you're going to do it, you should be compensated fairly for. And the biggest hurdle I see is that people just truly, truly don't see their value. And we just try and break through that all the time, that your time is important. Just reassuring them all the time. Yes, you are valuable. Your time is valuable. Your skill is valuable. People should pay you for the service. The other thing is money issues are not easy to break because they're deeply seated, usually in how we were raised around money. Mm-hmm. Did you grow up in the type of house that everything always had to be on sale? You bragged about how little you paid for things or your parents did. You got one pair of socks for Christmas. And it wasn't necessarily because the family couldn't afford more, but maybe that's just how they lived. And you find that a little bit more in previous generations who grew up through the depression where things were really, really hard. So in America, it became a kind of a a bragging right to be able to say, oh, I got that on sale or, oh, I got them to knock $10 off or how inexpensive things were. Mm -hmm. People brag about that all the time. So did you grow up in that kind of household or did you grow up in the type of household that treated money as a tool, that you treated it as an investment? You've made those types of decisions very carefully. Do you buy a new car or do you buy a used car and then use that money for vacation? And were those conversations that you heard growing up? So a lot of the money issues that, that we see are really, really results of how we were raised with our money mindset as a child and what we saw our parents doing. And breaking out of those deep-seated mindsets is very, very difficult. And we see it all the time. People shouldn't feel guilty for making money, but then we'll go back and we'll tell our families or our husbands, our support system, and they'll be like, oh my gosh, you sold it for how much? Like Then they start to question you. And when you don't have that super supportive base behind you, that can be difficult too. But I always tell people, once you go out there and you do it a few times, people will start to believe that you're worth it. You will start to believe that you're worth it. Mm -hmm. And then your support system will start to believe that you're worth it. And it's a whole mindset that changes. I remember when I did an IPS session a few years ago with some people, they came and they did a session with their nine-year-old daughter. And it was a really big deal for them. And when they came to the IPS session, they brought me chocolate cake, which was great. And they left spending several thousands of dollars. And it just so happened that my parents, because I do my IPS sessions at my home, my parents happened to be here at the time. And when I was able to walk into the family room and say, I just made a sale of, you know, $3,500, it totally changed the way that they thought and respected my business. It was no longer of, oh my gosh, no one's ever going to pay you that much to do this. It became a thing of like, okay, let's do this again. Let's do this again, because it could truly be a life-changing experience for everyone. Mm-hmm. So one of the other topics, a little bit tied into that, 
just kind of going back to what we talked about just previously, mm-hmm. is I think a lot of people when they're switching to IPS, I don't think they fully are grasping maybe the roles that they're taking on because you know they're sitting down with people, they're showing them different products that they have available. Yeah. And in some ways that it moves them, you know, more from just a photographer. Sometimes you're almost becoming like a interior designer. Mm-hmm. Like I'm a personally coming into your house. I'm helping you pick things that match your decor or your personal style. Right. And so there's a value in even just that beyond just the fact that you're just taking pictures or you took the pictures. You become more of a design consultant, yeah. especially for those really, really great clients who yeah. really want your help in designing the custom portraiture that hangs on the walls of their home. Mm-hmm. It's not just like, oh, I took some pretty pictures and now we're done. Go buy a thousand dollars worth of them. They need that extra help. So in-person sales sort of turns into more of in-person service. And when you're dealing with high-end service providers, there's definitely a way that you're treated what they say, what they do, how they show you images. And that's a hard transition to make and to learn how to do those things. I'm an observer of the sales process now, like I never was in the past. Every sales transaction with me is going to be analyzed and reviewed. And when I'm the customer, I want to make sure that I'm getting the most out of the process. So one thing that I have the advantage of living in a major metropolitan area is I have access to some of the best retailers in the world have stores here. So I will go in those stores and I will talk to those salespeople and I will notice what the store smells like and how people treat me and what they say to me when I walk in the store and how they show me their products. And it's truly, truly eye-opening because there is a difference between me going into, say, a Macy's where I basically choose everything myself and me walking into the Gucci store and literally just browsing for shoes, how I'm treated, what they say, the whole process is very different. And making that switch is tricky for some people to understand that you're not just selling your portraits anymore or you're just not selling files. You're truly, truly selling an experience. And that's where the value is. Mm-hmm. Yep. A lot of people just struggle with figuring out pricing. Mm-hmm. A, it goes back to confidence. Like, I don't know if I can sell that for $800. That's just one picture. Right. Or they just feel overwhelmed because, you know, it's easy just to say, here's the digitals. Like the shoot and burn model is pretty easy. Like, yeah. so hire me for a 500 You'll just get all the files. And, you know, there's there's a time and a place for, for that shoot and share business model. Mm-hmm. I really don't like the the idea in the industry that it's separate and that one's better than the other. I'm not going to lie. And there's some clients that I have that have been with me for years and years and years. They always buy the digitals. They trust me. They pay my price point. And so I may not have an IPS session with them. We have that relationship with them. So it's one of those things where everybody has to kind of do what works best for them in their business and also what stage in life they're at. But there's so much potential here that we don't like it when people sell themselves short. Mm -hmm. So the big hang up, I think, is when people, they move from that model and then they're like, okay, now I'm entering into product world and lab world. There's a billion choices, a billion different price points and just like overwhelmed in an ocean of things. And they have to select products 
and pricing for that. What advice in terms of just pricing? Mm-hmm. I know you guys have it on your website with ipsmastermind.com, but how would somebody start figuring out their pricing that's never done it? All right. Pricing is attached to products. So you have to price your products. So the one thing that I always say is keep it simple. You do not have to offer everything that a lab offers. Keep it narrow down to what you find manageable and what you think is going to be most popular. So I don't sell every product in the book. I sell albums. I sell prints. I sell wall art. That's it. If someone comes to me and wants something specialized, can I offer it for them? Yes, but it's not part of the normal thing. So I'm not juggling a really, really big price list all the time. So there's that. Keep it very, very simple. Two, when it comes to products and pricing, make sure you have a good relationship with your lab, whatever lab you may have. Make sure you call them, find out how they do things, make sure you understand all the little details that they may have in their pricing and and also how that impacts yours. So that's really important, I think, to know your lab well, know their pricing well so that you can understand your cost of goods. Because if a lab raises its prices 5%, that can have a big impact on your bottom line. So just be in the know. Don't ignore all those emails that you get from your labs. Pop them open, read them, and see what they're talking about. So keeping it simple, keep in contact with your lab and know your products well. And lastly, don't expect when you set your pricing that you're going to set it and forget it and never re-examine this. My pricing is a moving, breathing part of my business. I change up my pricing all the time. Now, it's kind of a pain to do so, but I will see, okay, you know what? That price that I sold a canvas for brought my cost of goods maybe up to 30%. I really want my cost of goods to be down at 20 to 15 to 20%. So I need to reevaluate that. Many people, they set their pricing, then they print out these really pretty booklets and pricing sheets and all these things. And then they get into it and realize, oh my gosh, I really should be charging $75 for that eight by 10 versus $50. And now you spent all this money printing out all this material. I'm not a big fan of that. If you want to have a book or a product book, don't put your prices on it. So that gives you some flexibility behind the scenes. So really just remember that you're not going to set your pricing now and that's how it's going to be for the next five years. It truly, truly is a moving, breathing part of your business and it's okay to switch things around when you need to. Mm -hmm. Can you talk also about gaining confidence in pricing of trusting that like, you know, the print, there's something cost me a hundred dollars maybe from the lab, but I want to sell it for 800 and being able to throw that number out there and kind of own it and not, not be scared of it, scared of it. Right. And let that be, you know, cause I feel like clients can kind of sense that. Oh, totally. Well, you can, even if you go into a store, there's a big difference when a salesperson tells you that a ring costs, this ring costs $14,000. And this is all the great features of this ring or, Oh, yeah, this ring costs $14,000. Sorry, you're not going to find that in Tiffany or something like that. They're going to tell you confidently what that costs because they believe in their products. So confidence is key when it comes to this. And I tell people all the time that you need to practice saying your pricing out loud so that you know what it sounds like. One of the best things I ever did was I did a baby fair And I promised myself that every person that asked me about their pricing, I would say one sentence. And at that point in time, I think it was my session fee is $250 and my average client spends between $1,000 and $3,500 for their portrait experience. Mm -hmm. And at the time, it was very scary to say that, those couple sentences. 
But I said it probably 50 times or 60 times out loud at that particular event. And by the end of the night, I believed it and it rolled off the tip of my tongue and it wasn't a problem. So if you have issues in just saying these things out loud, like you've done your numbers and you really do believe in your heart that you're worth this much, but it's just a delivery issue, practice it. Just walk around your house saying your prices, get used to hearing those prices out loud. But the biggest thing that you can know that your pricing is correct is to do your numbers. And no one ever wants to hear that. I mean, that's like (laughs) math. I know, math. We're creatives. (laughs) We're not supposed to do math. Are you kidding me? No one, when they come in the group and say, how do I price my five by sevens, wants to get a big old paragraph back of saying, well, now you need to do four hours of math to figure out your pricing and then you need to believe it. That is like the worst thing ever. And I... Get that 100%. But the bottom line is, as a business owner, you do have to know your numbers. And if math is painful for you, just do it the best that you can and realize that maybe you don't have to dot every I and cross every T And when you're figuring this out. But you really do need to have a very good handle on what things cost you. And once you realize how much things cost you, just the physical products of things, then you need to realize, hey, you know what? My time is kind of valuable. I'm hiring a babysitter so I can go shoot the session, I'm spending time away from my kids while I edit, all those things. And you add that in. Plus you have all your business expenses like insurance, website fees, taxes, all of that. Once you add all that up and you see, I really can't afford to charge anything less than $800 for that print it kind of opens your eyes to see that there is really is a method behind all of this in solid business practices. We're not just pulling these numbers out of the hat. All right, we're going to take a quick break from the podcast. And I want to let you know, we've got some exciting news coming up in February. Musea is going to be releasing a line of albums. It's our first time venturing into the album industry. We're going to have four different products. We're going to have a matted album. We are going to have a museum case, which is like a clamshell, so matted prints will fit in that. And then we're going to have two smaller products. One is a double-sided folio. It holds 5x7 prints in 8x10 mats, and you can just open it up so it's like on a shelf. Yeah, you can get a slipcase with that. And then we also have another really unique product. It's a matted slipcase. It's a slipcase, and then inside of that is a handmade paper enclosure that will hold five matted 8x10 mats. So the prints will be like 4x6, 5x5, 5x7. And uh, so five of those inside of that little enclosure. That's in a pouch. It's made from archival handmade paper up in Maine that's made for us. And so we're really, really excited about it. If you want to, you can go to museaalbums.com. There is a launch page there. You can put your email in and we will notify you via email whenever the albums are ready to be purchased and that the website is ready to be viewed and you can learn about it and see photos and read about all the products we're offering in detail. You can see all the linen and uh, all the fabric and colors that we're offering. So they're going to be handmade here in Nashville, Tennessee by a local bookmaker. She is very strict about archival material and our archival processes. Every single part of these albums are made by hand. She uses no machines, no electricity. The only time she uses electricity to make these is if she's uh, embossing the cover. But outside of that, it's all literally done by hand, folded, increased, every corner's folded by hand. And so 
The precision is amazing, and they all have very timeless classic design to them, and I think everybody's really, really going to love them. So uh, check them out, museaalbums.com, and back to the show. on the pricing theme but a little bit different is one of the things I've been really interested in I've been kind of reading a book I always like this kind of psychology thing of business and things like that one of the pitfalls maybe I see other photographers doing is when they reveal the pricing and how they reveal pricing to their clients a lot of times they just shoot like all the information over to every inquiry that comes in versus maybe waiting getting them on the phone or bringing them in for a pre-consultation or something so talk about timing what when you found it's best works for you or other people <laughs> the timing for your clients to know your pricing or have a very very good handle on your pricing is before they book you it's as simple as that whether you do that in a phone consult whether you do that in an in-person consult preferably not in just shooting over a price sheet but your clients need to know what the financial investment is going to be when they hire you before that actually happens And I cringe when I hear people say, oh yeah, they didn't ask me my prices, so I didn't tell them, and we have an IPS tomorrow, and they don't know what to expect. Mm -hmm. That is setting yourself up for a very, very uncomfortable situation. I want clients to leave and hug me and be super excited about working with me. And if they feel that they've been taken advantage of, or they weren't given all the information ahead of time, that's a real problem. So even if clients don't ask, it is your responsibility to make sure that you have communicated to them what the financial investment is going to be. Now, there's certain ways that people do this. The preferred way, because we're talking about in-person sales, and is to have them come in for a consultation and sit down with them and go over all these things with them. And then they can see it and they can book you and everything's good because there's no misunderstanding. And there's a lot of discussion too. Well, do you need both? Say you're doing a family session or a wedding or whatever type of session you're doing. There's usually two adults involved in this process and two parents. And there's controversy of, well, does a woman need the man to come with them or her partner to come with her to make these financial decisions? And I firmly believe, no, that women don't need their second half to come in with them to give them approval to make these decisions. But I also know that women like to get reassured that they're making the right decision. And so having that second person with them during the consultation process can be very, very helpful because they're also the person that if they go show up at the IPS and they haven't seen any of this pricing are going to put the brakes on it faster than you can even imagine. And then everything stops right there. So all your decision makers need to be involved in the pricing communication process. Yes. So however that works for those people. Now, some women are like, nope, I'm good. I don't need his input. I can spend whatever I want. I believe them. And I've had some of my best sales with just the one adult and that's great, but it's my job to make sure that they know that this is a significant investment. And if you're going to need or want anyone else's input, I never use the word approval. If you're going to want or need anyone else's input, be sure and bring them along. I would love to meet them and meet with them as well. So those are kind of some of the things people get tripped up on. But if you send a pricing list out, always see if you can do it after you have a phone call. If they don't want to come in for an in-person consultation, have a phone call first. And I don't send out a price sheet 
what I do is I send out a summary mm. that gives my seven most popular products and where they start. Got it. So if a canvas and base size, so I'll say canvas 16 by 20 starting point $450 or something like that. So they can see, okay, I kind of have an idea of what's going to go on there. And because I've had a phone conversation with them and because we're going to be talking about these things, they will usually say, well, you know, I want this, but I want this a little bit bigger. What would that be? And it's just a part of the conversation. I'm never hiding anything from them. I would rather just tell them so that we can have a conversation and I understand exactly what they're looking for before I just bombard them with a whole big price sheet. Yes. Okay. Love it. Yeah. I like the nuance of that because yeah, I see a lot of people, yeah, they just didn't have like the whole price sheet, which for the photographer, like the photographer understands everything listed there. But as a client, they have no idea what a folio is, what type of linen, it, what it feels <laughs> Like, like what right. what type of shade of brown that linen is or, or if what it's a like deckled a, printed. What's a deckled yeah, print? Yeah, deckled print. Like what yeah, they, they just <laughs> see it. So it's just information. So their brain is like, uh and they have no idea. So And also remember, if they're truly shopping on price, what they're gonna do is they're gonna take your prices and then compare them to four other photographers and really just you can't sell your service through an email. Mm-hmm. They need to talk to you. People need to hear the passion in my voice and the caring in my voice when I'm talking about photographing their tiny 10 day old baby, they need to hear some of those things because they can't be communicated. No matter how many pretty pictures you put on a pricing sheet, the true level of your service and the advantage of working with you cannot be communicated through a PDF you send in the email. It just doesn't work. There's a real disconnect there. And I even talk about that on my website. I say, you know, how can I show you these things? through a price sheet, through an email. That's why I insist on the conversation first. Mm-hmm. Yeah, love it. I mean, it's like buying a couch. Like a lot of times you yeah. get stuff online, but a lot of times you usually want to go to a store. And yeah, you want to see how it's going to feel. Yeah. And you can't really do that through an email. Now you can do it if you have a group of friends and five friends of yours have bought this same couch and love this couch and you trust them, mm-hmm. then word of mouth can kind of get you some of that. But most people with most major purchases and custom portraiture is a major purchase, want to be able to see and feel it as much as they can before they make that commitment. Yep. Okay. So one of the things I see come up a lot is people in small towns and they're like, well, is this going to work for me here? You know, the median income is only $30,000 a year in my market. And I've only got an overreach of maybe 5,000 people. So I know that's not true, but let's talk about the kind of how in-person sales can work really anywhere, no matter where you are. Well, in-person sales can work anywhere because there are stores everywhere. Every time you go to McDonald's, yeah, it's a cheap exchange or a cheap transaction, but it's still an in-person transaction. Every time you go to Walmart, it's an in-person transaction versus you buying your stuff from Amazon. So there's a difference between the two. In-person is not the reason why your business is failing in a small market. It could be that your branding is not on point for your area. It could be that your marketing is not on point in your area, that you're not involved enough in your community. So people don't know who you are because those smaller communities, you need to be out there and talking to people and getting to know them and being involved in more than just trying to sell your services. So I do not live in a small metropolitan area. I live in a major metropolitan area. So some of the small town things 
I can't always relate to all the way, but I do travel to small town areas. And Rachel Bourne and myself, we just did a retreat. It was a three-day retreat we went on and we went about an hour and a half away. And we were in a very small town on the coast of Maryland. And we sat there and we went to the mom and pop diner for breakfast every morning. And we sat there and we thought, how could you make IPS work in this area? Because it's so small and tight knit. And I think there's a few things that you need to remember when you have to be involved in your community and you have to be a good standing member of your community. So people trust you. And maybe you're not selling your products for $800 a piece. Maybe you're selling your products for $450 a piece. So you you might have to adjust a few things based on where you live, but in-person sales can absolutely work. It's maybe the other things that go into it that you have to modify to adjust for your area. Yeah, I would say, you know, usually if you're in a small town, usually your cost of living is typically a little bit lower. And so, you know, your margins may not have to be as high as somebody that lives in a San Francisco where cost of living is like through the roof. Right, right, right. Absolutely. Yeah. So another tip is don't price your stuff based on other people's pricing. Always do the math yourself for your specific situation because it's going to be for you. Absolutely. Yeah. We see this a lot in our group where people post where I could never charge this in my area. And a lot of people say, oh, yes, you could. Yes, you could. Yes, you could. And I'm not a true believer of that. You know, we have one photographer that charges $825 for a five by seven. And he lives in a major metropolitan area and he can do that. And that's great for him. I don't think I could go to the middle of Oklahoma in a very, very small town that had maybe 15,000 people and sell my services at that rate. I don't see that connection. And I could be totally wrong and people could argue this with me, but I think you would have to make some adjustments on your pricing based on the cost of living in the area that you're moving into. Does that mean you shouldn't be profitable and you shouldn't get paid a good rate for what you're doing? Absolutely not. But maybe some of those margins need to be adjusted based on where you live. Mm-hmm. One of the other topics that comes up a lot is marketing. I feel like that's a huge thing that yeah. photographers are struggling with. Yeah. So we can talk about two things with marketing. We'll start with the negative first and we'll end on a positive note. Okay, that's okay. So, <laughs> so let's talk marketing fails. So what are maybe some bad marketing strategies or things you've seen other photographers doing that's causing problems in their business? Okay. Perception is something that you can't control, how other people perceive you. But you don't want to give them ammunition to perceive you in a negative light. So there's a few things that I see that I just kind of cringe when it happens and say like, people aren't going to be receptive to that the way that you mean it. Mm -hmm. So one of those things is announcing your big switch to IPS and using that as I'm going to make a big change in my business. This means I'm going to be able to provide you with great products and all these different things, making a big, huge announcement. Now, when clients see that, the perception of that is a great, now she's just going to charge me a whole bunch more money for that. Now, they may not say that on your social media. You might get a couple comments saying, oh, this sounds great. I want to you know, do this. But most of the time, that's going to be received in a negative light because people just don't understand it. They don't understand it till they actually go through the process and see how great it is. So announcing it on social media to me is a big marketing no-no. I don't think it's going to get the traction that you want. Instead, start posting products on your social media. Start showing them all these great things that you're offering. And do it in a more subtle way. You can get your point across, but you don't necessarily have to announce it. So the announcing of the IPS is a marketing tip that I don't recommend. I also suggest you be very, very careful, especially in this day and age, about trying to do fundraisers 
based off of tragedies. Mm. People might say that they want to start raising money for, say, hurricane victims or fire victims or that type of thing. But if you're coming in and there's any sort of way that you're promoting this in a way for you to make a profit, that's just icky. Just don't do that. Don't try and make a profit. And you're using that that tragedy, people's tragedy, to bring attention to your business. If you want to do something that's fully, fully, truly, truly charitable, volunteer somewhere, bring your camera, give those images to people, just really be charitable about it. And I truly believe that will come back and bless you in your business, but don't lead with, I'm going to do mini sessions and 50% of the profits are going to go to hurricane victims. Well, that means 50% of the profits are going in your pocket. And that just doesn't sit right for me. That's not how I choose to run my business. So also, I think you have to be really careful. I think, you know, in this day of social media of using Facebook Live and video and that type of thing in your marketing materials, make sure it's really, really good. Make sure it's lit well. Make sure you have a script that you're not just sitting there showing off an album and rambling away. You need to have a plan and you need to have prepared for whatever you want to present. I see a lot of Facebook lives these days. They're just so incredibly awkward to watch. They haven't been prepped. You can tell the people on them. You look like they just came out from the gym as far as their personal appearance and they haven't prepped what they're going to say. And I'm all for being spontaneous because people want things genuine and real and authentic. I'm all for that. But I also realize that a lot of this stuff, when it gets put out on social media, it's going to stay there for a really, really, really long time. And so I'm very careful about how, if I'm going to do a Facebook live, I make sure that I try to be lit correctly, that my outfit is decent, all of those different things, because all of that could be someone's first impression of your business. So make sure that first impression is really good. So those are three things for you. Yep. I love it. One of the other things I was thinking of as you were talking is, especially what, as I float in the, your Facebook group, mm-hmm. is I see a lot of people that like their whole marketing strategy is just how much money can they dump into like Facebook ads or something. Yeah. And I feel like it can work, but it's very hard. It's really hard. And I feel like it's really need to get out in the community and build relationships. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. You're absolutely right. A big, huge marketing fail I see these days is thinking that you can build an entire business sitting behind your computer, especially when that business is based on personal interaction. If your business is based on personal interaction, you need to go out and interact with people, not behind your computer. We've been doing a couple challenges and those will be available for people for a long time that are kind of encouraging that, you know, talk to people in line behind you, pass out a business card, develop those small talk skills, because it's very important for us as business owners, especially doing what we do when we're dealing with people's families and their memories. Not only do you need to be very approachable. You need to be easy to talk to and people need to feel like they can speak with you easily to get those conversations flowing. So those small talk skills, as much as we don't, no one likes to make small talk, but they do launch themselves into other bigger things. So get out behind your computer, go meet people, go talk to them about things and it will absolutely help your business. Love it. One of the things I just thought about is, you know, this getting out and meeting people thing is... I feel like the industry has been in a place, you know, the past 10 or 15 years with, you know, the internet and different business models with kind of the, you know, prevalent shoot and burn being kind of the main business model mm-hmm. is 
photographers are used to the mindset of like, I need a lot of clients every year mm-hmm. to, you know, fund my business or to pay my bills right. because of, you know, the lower kind of initial ticket price. Mm-hmm. But I see with in-person sales is a bit of a mental shift you have to make there, which can be a challenge, which is, you know, I don't need near as many clients. Like if I create a great customer experience, they'll come back yearly, every other year, every third year. Mm -hmm. And so I really am just building a small group of people that love me and what I do. And they're willing to pay and go through this, you know, right. Go through a different experience and they have a little more money and willing to pay for it. And so I'm, I'm not trying to, be everything for everybody. So talk about that. Right. Well, I think once you start to settle into some of these things, it's, those lessons are hard when you're new at this. Yeah. And it's a really, really big mind shift of, oh my gosh, every October, November, I used to shoot 60 clients because, you know, that's when everybody wants right. their- Christmas card. Yeah. <laughs> Christmas cards. Christmas card. I used to shoot 60 clients. This year, I only have 30. Mm. I am failing miserably. I am going to go under, my business is ruined. I don't have enough clients. I'm going to fail. But then after the season happens, if you've done well with your sales process in providing great service for your clients, you realize you only had 30 clients, which you made twice as much as you did when you had those 60, if not more, mm-hmm. then it starts to click. Oh, I get what they're saying. But a lot of times these lessons don't really sink in until you go through them. Right. And we ask people to trust us. We ask people to really believe in, in what they're doing and in the process. But some of those lessons are scared, especially, you know, they're scary to go through, especially if you're relying on your mortgage and all of those things. It's different for someone who's like, oh, yeah, my husband is sponsored, you know, pays all the bills and I'm just doing this for fun. Well, then you should be doing IPS for sure, because that way you can get paid a lot and not spend as much time away from your family. But if you're in a situation where this is your income, it's your only income and your your livelihood depends on it, it can be very, very scary. Mm-hmm. And so in those situations, guess what? You do what you got to do. If you got to throw up a day of mini sessions to make the rent or whatever, then through this time of transition, that's what you need to do. But many people find when they come out on the backside that they did a lot less work. They had much happier clients and they made a lot more money in the process. Yep. And that's a win-win for everybody. Yeah. It just goes back to that pricing and math thing. Mm-hmm. It's like really deciding on what type of business you want to run because it's, you can be a wedding photographer and you can say, you know, this is just totally oversimplification of the, the whole thing idea, but I want 10 clients a year, uh-huh. but I want them to pay me $10,000 for every wedding. Right. So that's a you know $100,000. Yeah. Or you could be the photographer that says, I want 50 clients a year, but I'm only going to charge them $2,000 for a wedding. Right. And that's still $100,000, but you're working five times as many events. You're editing five times as many calories. Right. It's a lot of clicks on a camera too. You know, all of that adds up. Yep. You know, so you're away from your family 40 more times. So you really have to weigh all of the, just, it's literally just a math equation of like, how do you want to build your life? How do you want to build your business? And if you were going to try to reach those 10, where are those people? How do you find them? Yeah. Where are those people? How can you find them and go get them? And that's, you know, we talked about earlier about the money mindset issue. That's another thing that people really, really struggle with is how do you market to people that aren't like you? Mm-hmm. If you are living in a, in a one bedroom apartment somewhere and you're not married and you're just coming out of college, how do you market confidently to the established business owner who lives in the mansion down the street, has five different cars, kids with nannies and all of that. How do you connect that 
And that is really, really hard. Mm -hmm. And a lot of it is just self-confidence and also presenting yourself in a professional manner because there's certain things, you know, those people want those interior designers and they want those people to do that work for them. So if you're willing to do it and you present yourself in a professional way, you can break into those markets, but you just have to keep trying and putting yourself out there and presenting yourself professionally so people know that you can keep kind of climbing up that ladder. Yep. And I would say a lot of these clients, they really want an expert to walk them through something. Yep. And I think for a lot of people, a lot of the internet, a lot of just where we're at is, uh, is a lot of, there's a lot of, you know, do it yourself culture out there with yeah. Pinterest and everything. And so I think mm-hmm. as photographers and I, you know, it's like, oh, I can mow my own yard or I can do my own landscaping. I can paint my own house. But there's a lot of people that, you know, they would rather hire that done so they can do other things and they're they're okay spending the money because they have the money to do that. And well, because they've learned the lesson that it's better use of their time to hire someone to do it versus them trying to do it themselves. It's better to hire a professional case in point. Painting is not what we do in our house. We do not paint rooms. We do not. (laughs) We learned very, very easily in our marriage with my husband that painting was not good for our relationship (laughs) and we're just not good at it. And so whenever a room needs to get painted, I have a guy that I hire and I'm perfectly fine paying him to paint while I sit in my office and make the money to have him paint for me. And as you get older, that starts happening more and more. You hire a housekeeper, you hire a handyman for your home, you hire the gardener if you can, if you have the means to be able to do that, as long as you realize that there's a trade-off there, like, okay, we'll have to make the money plus some to be able to afford that convenience. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of people out there who do that. Okay. So as we're kind of wrapping up here, there's a couple of questions that people posted in the Musea Facebook group regarding this with you. Oh, awesome. So Rachel, she asked, I don't really know how to switch when the market around her is mainly digitals okay. is how she feels. Right. So she really wants to know like how to, what advice to like make the transition and appealing to clients that are used to digital files. Got it. Okay. First of all, the whole market around you does not want digitals the whole market that you know of around you wants digitals. Mm. People could say that in my market. Oh, everybody in the Northern Virginia area, they only want digitals. Well, hello, I have a business here that is not based on digitals and I'm doing just fine. So don't get set in the mindset that everyone around you wants a certain thing because that's just what you see and you don't see everything. There are millions of people out there that won't even ask you for a digital file because they value what you bring to the table. So the key is finding those people. So don't let that scare you. There are people out there that want prints. Now they may want some digitals too, and that's okay. You can absolutely sell those, but there is a market for beautiful printed products. It's just what you're seeing. And if all you're seeing is what you see on social media, I guarantee you the highest level of client doesn't even have a Facebook account. My highest sales across the board, no one is on social media. They just don't have time. They don't want to deal with it. So what you're seeing is not truly an active representation of the industry and what people want. So there's that. And as far as how to switch, you really just do it. You just realize that it's not going to be perfect at first. And you jump right in and with your next client, you say, listen, we did a session the other day. I would love to come over and show you these images in person. Pack up your laptop, grab the picture of your kid off the wall or something that you already have printed. Take a notepad with you. 
throw them into Lightroom or Bridge and just go through them one by one. And trust me, it will start to happen. Just be confident that what you're selling is valuable. Yeah. And I would say also to kind of tack onto that really great advice is if you believe in something that you really want to do in your business, you just have to throw it out there continuously. For me, just on a personal note of like starting this print lab, we were entering the market of printing where eight by tens are two dollars. Right. And so for us to come in and say our eight by tens are twenty, you know, we charge ten times the amount or you know, or whatever you want to say. It's a lot of people say that's not possible. You can't do that because that's not what the market is used to. But what I found is, no, there are people that want something better that's just right. not been available to them yet. And they, once they see it and they see that you're committed to it, they know there's an alternative. Right. And so then they're open to that idea. You know, it's the same thing of like with any luxury car, or any luxury product out there, most of the market is going to be lower, but there's always going to be somebody that's willing to pay more for something. Yeah. I don't see Ferrari going out of business anytime soon. You know, you have to believe it. Yeah. And so once that mind shift happens and you start realizing how valuable is the service that you're offering, it just kind of starts to evolve naturally. Mm -hmm. So another question was she's struggling with not feeling like she can do in person with every client. She has children at home and she feels like it's maybe hard to break away from family responsibilities every time she needs a meeting. So especially starting out, I can see that's hard because you, you know, you don't want to pony up for (laughs) babysitter every time, but you, you know, you need to get going. So what are maybe some advice to get started down that path? You know what? Moms with families kind of get the short end of the stick. And especially when it comes to starting a business like this, I have a 10 year old daughter and luckily I was in a position that by the time I really got going in this, she was starting to go to school. Mm-hmm. So I didn't have the childcare issues that I see so many people struggle with. Finding great childcare is a challenge. And it's one of those things that as a professional business person, it's something that I firmly believe you just have to do. Every other professional that you deal with has a babysitter or someone else care for their child when they go to work. So many people I feel think that they can do this and watch their kids and homeschool their kids and be involved in all these other things and then start a full-time business on top of it. I'm the first person to say, I just don't think that that's realistic, but I do think there's some creative ways that you can do it. You can do your IPS sessions at night. You can see if you can do a switch off with a friend. I watch your kids at this time and you watch my kids at this time. See if you can do a trade with a friend for some sessions Anything that you need to do to get you the time that you need and feel comfortable about where your kids are and juggling all of that is great. There's no right or wrong solution to that particular issue. And know that every mom and every photographer that you know of has dealt with it and struggles with it. It's not an easy thing to manage. I think starting a business when you have children that are under school age is just extremely difficult to find the time to get it all done. But you can do it. If you want it bad enough, you can do it and you can find those creative solutions in making that happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the other thing I was thinking about uh, even today is just, um, and something I have to remind myself about being a business owner is like, just be patient with yourself. Like yeah. give yourself grace. It takes Absolutely. years to build a business. You're not just going to put a sign up and it's like within six months, you're making $80,000 a year. It just right. doesn't happen. So just patience and show yourself some grace. <laughs> yeah. Grace is great. And I think also just to realize that you're not going to have a full-time business unless you can devote more than full-time energy into making it happen. Yeah. And it's okay to have a part-time business. It's okay to do IPS with one client a month. 
One, yep. one client a month. And if that one client a month pays you $1,500, $2,500 or more for that experience, that's not a bad deal. And you've saved yourself some time. You've had a better life work balance and all of that. So find yourself 12, especially if you're doing this part-time in a smaller area, 12 people a year. That's all you need to come in one client a month. And you can even market that as a scarcity item that you only take one client a month. And that can be your, a certain marketing perspective for you that you're very exclusive about who you offer your services to. Love it. There's a way to spin all of these things. Yep. So let's talk about your education site because I've done a class for it. Mm-hmm. I watched it just blow up yeah. and I know you guys are working on some new stuff for 2018. It's really exciting. Yeah. So anybody that's like, hears this, they're like, all this nuanced things sound really great. I want to learn more. You guys have an education site that they can dive in and learn any topic. So tell us about that. Sure. We have a couple of resources. One is the free Facebook group. We have a big, like you mentioned earlier in the podcast, we have almost, we will probably hit 55,000 members in the next week or so. And people come there to learn about business and they can ask questions and specifically about the IPS sales model. So join the Facebook group. That's the number one thing I tell people. And then the next thing, if you want to take it to the next step, join IPS Mastermind. IPS Mastermind is like the best thing you could do if you truly, truly want a sustainable business and you need help with pricing, marketing, oh, all sorts of things. And it's $35 a month right now. We are going to be making some changes in the beginning of 2018. So get in on it now while you can at that price. And there's over 55 classes right now taught by different instructors. And Michael is one of our instructors and did a really great class on how to prepare your photos for print. And if you're really, really into that and really technical, that's a great class for you to go through. We also have things like certain sales methods, like how to pre-sell. We have a lot of photographers who actually pre-sell their products so that they know what people are buying before they even do the session. And we have someone who walks you through that whole process. Pricing, we have several pricing classes that are struggling with that. So there's so many great resources there to really help you with your business that it's an incredible, incredible resource. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I don't know anything else like it online for this you know specific business model that's this in-depth. Mm-hmm. I mean, you have some of the people, you have people, some of the best people really in the industry yeah. that have the most success with this, you know, teaching these classes. It's really invaluable. We like to think that we have some really great people. And the thing that when we started IPS Mastermind a year and a half ago, our big focus was we did not want people who were super, super well-known in the industry teaching our classes. That wasn't what we were interested in. We were interested in having people come in that we're doing this every day. So our instructors are not going to be the big names that you see. Every once in a while, you might see someone familiar, but these are people who are just in the trenches with us every day running their business. And we've gone to them and said, hey, listen, we know that you do something really, really well. Will you share that with our audience? And they come in and they teach a class on one particular thing. We also have a list of mentors if people are interested in getting some one-on-one help that we feel is a great resource for people because they've been vetted and we know that they're really good at what they do. But these are not well-known people. These are people doing it every day, working photographers that are running studios. And the thing is, they've also encountered all the problems that we've encountered along the way so they can offer solutions and help for that. Mm -hmm. Proven. It's proven methods. So yeah, love it. Well, thank you so much. I know you're busy. You got a lot going on running two businesses. So (laughs) there you go. But thank you for your time and your wisdom. I appreciate it. Well, thank you, Michael. It's a pleasure. Thanks so much. 
All right, I want to thank Dory for coming on the podcast with me. It was great to chat with her. Make sure to check her out. They've got a lot going on over at IPSmastermind.com, especially if you are looking to get into in-person sales and you're wanting to sell products, physical prints, frames, albums, all that good stuff in person. They are really the best resource on the internet to learn how to do that. So IPSmastermind.com. Thank you so much to James Sweeting for editing and mixing this podcast. And thank you to our Patreon supporters on Patreon for keeping this going and keeping the lights on. All right. Thanks.